Okay, everybody. Uh, welcome to this week's podcast. Welcome, Peter. Welcome, Doug. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about Clint Eastwood's 2018 film, The 1517 to Paris, starring uh, Spencer Stone, Anthony Sadler, and Alex Scarlatos as Spencer Stone, Anthony Sadler, and Alex Scarlatos. Wait, um, I, I thought we were doing 315 to Yuma. <laughs> Did we do that already? I can't even remember. No. Um, uh, just a couple of announcements before we get down to the meat of the podcast. Um, uh, we'd love to get your comments and feedback. You can email us at popcorndrinkcombo at gmail.com. Also, please uh, rate the podcast uh, on iTunes if you had a good time listening to us. And I do have one quick erratum. Um, in our last podcast, I said that Frederick Pohl was the author who wrote the short story, Arena. That was actually Frederick Brown, and I realized that uh, about a day afterwards, so I don't want to give credit where it's not due. Uh, Peter, do you want to summarize uh, the 1517 to Paris? Yeah, so um, in, in, two th- in the summer of 2015, uh, on the train from Amsterdam to um, Paris, the regular scheduled train, a terrorist um, whose name I've forgotten because I don't have the uh, Wikipedia page open now, um, tried had an AK-47 and a knife and a handgun and a ton of ammunition and was basically... A bad dude. Yeah, not a good guy, quote, inspired by ISIS, was going to shoot up the train, presumably. Um, and these three Americans who had been friends since childhood um, basically saved the train. Uh, they, they attacked and when he started attacking, they, and shot one person, they, they attacked him and subdued him. And this is the story of that event. And then a very unusual, I think very unusual, um, movie overall that sort of tells their backstory to an extent and then couches their heroic act in, in, uh, their upbringing and, and in the events leading up to, I guess that's the only way to put it. It, it couches what happened in the events leading up to it, both years before and in the days immediately before. Um, and then it sort of has a brusque uh, finale of the actual events on the train and then their awards afterward. And it uses, obviously, the instead of actors portraying uh, the involved heroes like Tom Hanks in... in um, Sully, um, portraying, um, Captain Sully Sullenberger, who, you know, landed the plane on the Hudson, um, when it lost, uh, two engines, uh, and saved the, everybody on the flight. Um, this time it would be as if he got Captain Sullenberger to play Captain Sullenberger and, and, and act his way through. Um, and, and so that's the sort of interesting thing about the movie. Um, I- I kind of felt like this was the third of a trilogy of films with really American Sniper and Sully and the 1517 to Paris really being three very similar movies about people who have gone through extensive training, having to put that training to the test under the most dire of circumstances, all, all about real events and real people. Yeah, I wanted to, you know, I, I, I saw American Sniper, but it's been a while. I kind of wanted to talk about it a little later because I remembered it being much more 
conventional, if you want to say that. I'm not sure what to think about this movie. I'm sort of being honest. I, I figured that talking to you about the movie would form my final opinion because I have really mixed feelings about it. And so, you know, I, I kind of wanted to just enumerate maybe a couple things I liked and a couple sure. things I did, I disliked, and then we can just talk about them as we went. And I'm not sure where I'm going to end up, uh, if I'll be in the same place or sort of end up more positive or negative. Um, I will tell you that I, I only knew the story loosely. I remember reading the coverage of it when it happened and I kind of forgot about it. Yeah. And when they said they were making a movie about it, it sort of triggered a little bit of memory, but only in the few days before we went to see this, did I remember that they had cast the actual people who had done this in real life as themselves. I, I will tell you that just broad strokes with a few exceptions, I really did like it. And again, I think some people would have, I think trouble with the three of them playing themselves and the way that they are portrayed so unironically and the way that, for example, they are portrayed as patriotic and religious. I think some people might view that uh, with uh, some degree of skepticism or not like those things being portrayed without any irony. But I'm actually OK with it in this context. I mean, these were young guys, two of whom were in the military. So I think that you give them a lot of latitude because, A, you know that they're not professional actors, and B, they are portraying themselves doing what they actually did. So I think I felt overall in a very forgiving mood about the things that I did not like in this movie. I guess, you know, what I what I thought was interesting or liked was, you know, the movie, it was so dry and unadorned, um, so unmovie-like, I guess, in some ways. Um, not just in the fact that he used non-actors, you know, in the, in the parts, but, you know, the, the, um, the screenplay, the editing, the pacing, um, all of it was, was that way was sort of interestingly dry. Um, and, and it, it was so much so that it made it a little mysterious feeling to me. I mean, it was sort of like a little, it's sort of a, a, unusual, um, mm. to, you don't see things sort of made that way so i mean it made me no it's a very unusual film and it's it's also it sort of sits on the fence a little bit and in the sense that it is the three of them playing themselves but i will tell you um and like i said i i'm more than willing to sort of give clint a pass on some of the missteps in this film but i think the biggest misstep i don't know if you agree is that he had two pretty well-known actresses playing their moms. Like that was Judy Greer and Jenna Fisher. Yeah. And I was, you know, like it's strange to see the real people with actors playing their families. Like I thought that he maybe either didn't need the mothers at all or could have had the mothers play themselves even if only for very brief bits. But it, it did take me out of the movie a lot when the two of them showed up because I've seen them in so many other things. It kept reminding me it was a movie, whereas it, it, it didn't feel like I was watching a movie for a lot of it. It felt like I was watching some sort of reality show. I don't I felt like it was a movie. Um, I mean, I, I think it would be hard. Everybody else in, in the film is an actor, right? 
and uh, in, except for them. That being said, they're about ninety percent of the screen time, especially um, um, what's his name Stone. Stone is really sort of the main character. He is, and and the only kind of development or exploration of character out of the three of them really is done with him. The other two are really sort of remain a mystery. And even with him, you don't really learn a ton. You, you know, Scarlato's second best, whereas Sadler is the least detailed character of the three of them. Like you at least know that Scarlato's is in uh, uh, Afghanistan. Yeah. Like it's never really clear to me what Sadler is doing. Like, is he in college? Does he have a job? Like there's mention of him taking finals. Yeah. But I think he's in I, college. I was never really sure like where he was supposed to be. And right. then he breaks away from them at some point. He goes to a different school. And well, then it's it's sort of left unclear how their friendship maintains itself over the years when he goes to another school at a fairly young age. Yeah. Um but even um, Scarlato sort of sh- you you get to know them when they're kids because they're all running around together, and then then they kind of stop following Scarlato's. You know, they they show a couple of thirty second updates and oh, he's in Afghanistan being bored. But uh, they really follow Stone's career development and his decision to go into the service. And Stone is essentially the main person in the attack too. He's the main person who fights back. And takes him down with help from the other two. Right. He he jumps into the fray first and tackles the the uh, gunman. Um, I read that in real life. He said in a loud voice, "Get him." Which <laughs> huh. is pretty pretty damn good, by the way. Yeah. Um. You know, I I wonder because of that. You know, because the characters. You know what? What are they like? I, I don't. Do they really? Do you I, do you need to know a character? Like you know, what does it take to to make a movie? You know, the way it's mysterious, it makes me sort of wonder that this 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 movie make me wonder what does it mean to make a, to to make something into a movie? When is the line between a movie and you know? At one end, you have like your home video or a selfie. And then you, at the other end, you have a movie, right? This thing, it's this not, is in the middle. It's somewhere in that continuum. It's right. It's not. It's not on fully on the movie side, and it's not fully on the home, you know, video side. I mean, and, this is this is uh, Andy Warhol's. Everyone will be famous for fifteen minutes in the future. Come to life or writ large, right? But you know, I mean, the, the characters. I don't feel like we learn a lot about them. The question, of course, you can say is, do you need to? Um, and yeah, I, I and there's not I much, agree. there's not much story. I don't really get a sense like you sort of suggest, you know, it's not that you need to know what happens in the inter in the intervening time. Um, you don't need to know every moment of, you know, the character's life to feel like they're real, but you need to know, it, you need to get a, a, a sort of an emotional sense and an appropriate story sense that flies that you swallow with the with with characters. They don't have to be developed really well, but it was a little halting um, hmm. to the point where it made me feel like I, I couldn't kind of get lost because 
it was, I didn't really sort of, it didn't complete that line. You know, it wasn't sort of a, a straight line for me to grab onto and follow or a track, you know, the greased rail or whatever. Like it, it didn't, there was no grease and there was no rail. Huh? No, you just, you said there's no rail about a movie that takes place on a train. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I think I, I felt like I learned enough about them to get a sense of their arcs of their lives and to where they were at the point in time. And Stone very much wants to prove himself. Scarlatos is off being a badass in Afghanistan and he's tired of it. Sadler, we don't know so much, but Stone, it is conveyed to you again and again and again that he really wants to prove himself. He wants to to fight a, a great fight or be challenged in a deep and meaningful way. And it makes sense that when he sees the guy come out of the bathroom with the gun in the backpack, that he's going to be the first guy charging down the aisle. It also helps that he's a gigantic dude. Right. By the way, I was thinking two out of the three of them are right. Um, but I don't know. I, that didn't, but I, I think it worked for me more than it worked for you. And I will not lie to you. I'm a little more of a sucker for these movies than you are. And, the, and this is there's a little bit of wish fulfillment in this film in the sense that even though it's true, you know, I thought a lot about United 93. You know, this is yeah. this is storming the cockpit and retaking the plane right on a train, whereas in real life on 9-11, that didn't happen. You know, they stormed the cockpit and they they, you know, essentially wrested control of the plane from the terrorists, but the terrorists were still able to ground the plane. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think this this gives you a, a more rewarding ending than that. And again, they're both real events that are, you know, in a lot of ways, closely related. You know, I didn't see United 93, I have to admit. And it, it almost very good. I, I know it, I, I, I really be the best 9-11 movie. Yeah, I really want to see it. And this and movie the, the made last, me think the about last it. Five minutes. I mean, your your heart is in your throat. I mean, it's so intense when they are fighting back, and it's just a. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not to use a sort of a cliched phrase, but it's really a pitched battle, and they're just throwing everything I have, and they're sort of scratching and punching and biting, and it's just it's insane, and they're, this is all happening in the cockpit. Yeah. Uh, no, so if I, you ever get a chance, you should see it, because it's really not just about United ninety three. It's really about all four flights. I mean, I've. I've seen, I think, almost every movie about 9-11, good, bad, and ugly, and I think that that's the best one. Yeah, I, I've heard good things about it, and this movie kind of, seeing this reminded me that I want to see that, that I want to see at the very United least, 93. just watch the last 10 minutes. Just, I'm sure it's on YouTube. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what you said about the, like, the Air Force, uh, you know, and the, the kind of development that Stone had, you know, I'm not sure... So, so he, the development in it is sort of tries to come in the sense that, that Stone's character development tries to arrive in the sense that he, he's very ambitious in the Air Force, has sort of a number of setbacks, a la a normal person would have setbacks. And then he still ends up. he's not portrayed as a super soldier. Like he, he washes out of some stuff. He doesn't get what he wants. Like he's sort of drifting downward in the, in the air force. Right. He has, he has multiple sort of false starts, um, that, that are portrayed. Um, but I don't know how much sort of significance it provides in terms of getting his, 
understanding anything about him. I mean, the good thing about the movie is that as an exploration of heroism, um, you know, it, it it's sort of looking at the way Eastwood sometimes does, even in like Unforgiven, right? In a way, even though the guy's a bad guy, he's still heroic. Uh, Clint Eastwood's character, William Money, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's trying to look at what does it mean to be extraordinarily heroic uh, in a moment. And, you know, he's trying to, and he's showing that it's basically, it's a moment in ordinary life. There really isn't something particularly outstanding about it, except that it just comes from, it's a, it's an unusual moment in an ordinary life. And, and I like that, that the movie is able to show that, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, the development scenes are, there's some cringeworthy moments, you know, like when the, the teacher scene, right. <laughs> the teacher scene with the, the, the teacher, which um, teacher, the teacher that says, you know, they have ADD and they're, they're going to oh, be right, washed right. up and disastrous. And the mother's like storm out and disgust. And the, um, cause the other teacher, by the way, I don't know if you noticed the male teacher was Urkel. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I was like, I said to my wife, it's Urkel. <laughs> Um, um, no, I mean, my you daughter know, said something interesting one. when we walked out of it. My daughter said um, that, in her opinion, the film commemorated their lives, which I thought was an interesting take hmm. from an adolescent on this movie. That was kind of how she viewed the whole thing, and I kind of felt that they were showing how, from a certain point of view, their whole lives led up to just this one moment where they could really, really show their very best selves. At the worst possible moment, which is, I think, again, I freely admit I'm more of a sucker for this sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that aspect of heroism. I like the fact that it's so unadorned that it's, it's so dry that it it's interesting and that it, it really throws into relief when you notice that what it his point about heroism is. Um, but some of those other, the things I mentioned and, you know, there was something else. It's almost like, I feel like, you know, when, can you really, you know, can you make a movie that, that's that dry or that's that much uh, an attempt to be a home video or based on realism, right? Because sometimes I almost feel like, you know, when Eastwood's decisions are kind of like saying, um, you know, that, art is not doesn't really require expertise or doesn't require any genius in a way i mean for example like you know you you can take any cell phone snapshot and it's going to look like uh, you can make a, a it's a photographic masterpiece or you know any stick drawing that i could make i can't draw a circle. I can't draw anything. Right. <laughs> so it's like saying, you know, I can draw a still life as a, you know, a stick bowl and a stick apple. And, you know, it's going to equal, um, you know, Matisse's uh, goldfish on the, on the stand in the glass of water. You know, I don't know if you ever saw that painting, but I just vividly remember, for example, seeing that patient painting in real life. And, um, you know, it was sort of transcendent to see there's something about, you know, there's something about, art in any form that is that makes it art there's a there's a, something inexplicable about it right mm-hmm. and so you know this this thing ultimately he's he's sort of arguing that you can make a stick figure 
equivalent to that in a way. Right. I mean, maybe that's a snotty thing to say. Mm, I don't know. But there's a but there's precedent for what he's doing here. And like I was reminded of Audie Murphy. Right. Himself in his film. To Helen Back. Yeah. And Harold Russell, who played essentially a version of himself in the best years of our lives. Yeah, there have been others, too. I just don't remember them. But, yeah, Audie Murphy. Those are the two that I thought of during the movie. Yeah, Audie Murphy's a big one, right? Because that he was a war hero, too. You know? I mean, he was the biggest war hero, right? Wasn't he, like, the like the most decorated soldier in World War II or something? I don't know if he something? was the most, but he was super decorated for his actions. You know, right. by the way, Audie Murphy, I think he lied about his age to join the military. He was He was way underage when he got into the military. Yeah, I remember hearing um, that. I listened to uh, a couple of interviews with the actual three guys, Stone, Sadler, and Scarlatos. We'll call them the triple S's. Mm-hmm. Um, and but two things that were interesting is one is that when you hear them talk unscripted, they really don't sound very different. Um, right. They, you know, they do. They have this. They have very, very obvious and overt California accents, especially Sadler. Dude. Um, and they really sound that way in real life. And that. The tone and cadence of their voices was not that different. I thought that the movie versions of them would be a little more stilted, but I I think that that's how they actually speak. Like, that really sounded like them. And they said that they were at an award ceremony, I think it was for Spike, the TV channel, and afterwards they said, somebody came up to them and said, hey, Clint Eastwood is here and he'd like to meet you. And they went back and they met Clint Eastwood, and they said to Clint Eastwood, you should make a movie about us out of our book or something like that. Right. And they actually pitched it to him and they were like, that was interesting. And then Eastwood was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and then like a few months later, they got a call and they were originally going to cast three people to play them. And then they decided, no, 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 no. Let's just have them do it. But they originally had three people. I see. I'm looking it up right now. Kyle Gallner, Jeremy Harris and Alexander Ludwig. were going to play the three of them. But uh, Eastwood said, no, 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 let's just have you guys do it. And the movie was made really quick. Like, they, these guys were cast in July of 17. Well, the first version, I think, was um, Pee Wee Herman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> stop now. Stop now. You're going to get yourself in trouble. Uh, but, uh, I mean, this, you know, this, this movie was made six months ago. Yeah. And they, by the way, they filmed on an actual train. Like, that's not a set. They filmed on an actual high-speed train in, in Europe, which is pretty cool to think about. Yeah. Um, and the other thing uh, that I thought was interesting when you know, I listened to their interviews is how they have clearly told the story a thousand times now. And they still are able to tell the story with verve and enthusiasm. When the, in the, one, of the, one of the interviews I listened to with them, the guy said, can you tell us a story? And one of the other co-hosts of that show said, I know you've told it a lot, but can you tell it again? And they told it again, and I thought that they would sound fatigued or worn out from telling it, and they weren't at all. Like It was really interesting to hear them tell the story in their own words. Yeah. I mean, I almost wish that they seemed less fatigued than they did on screen. <laughs> Not to be a snot. But... Well, you know, they've been out all night partying in Amsterdam. By the way... Didn't that movie make you want to go to Amsterdam? That looked like a hell of a lot of fun when they were in that nightclub. Jeez. Yeah, but on the other hand, like, I mean, the trip, the, it so was the so Germans sanitized. Here. I don't know. The, the whole, I mean, that whole trip was so sanitized and squared off. Like, they're all of their actions. Like, you know, they're not, I mean, they, they don't even like, 
there's zero, they don't even touch a woman. They don't even. <laughs> well, Carlados is there with his German girlfriend, and then I there's mean, this kinda. woman who appears with them in Venice, who they run around with for. You don't ever really know who she is or where she comes from or where she goes. Right. She just sort of disappears. So, so the movie is only about ninety minutes, but yeah. I thought that honestly they could have cut out some stuff and they could have cut yes. out some of the trip to Venice and they could have cut out Scarlatus with his German girlfriend. It would have been enough just to say he was going to Germany to see his girlfriend and then have them meet up. You almost didn't need that time with there, but then the movie would have been seventy five minutes probably. Yeah, but then there would have been no Scarlatus. Like. Then the entire movie would have just been stone, and they could have made like um, a Fight Club where it was really one guy doing all three. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, it's just like you know, it was it, that Europe. It, it kind of felt like the book to me. And, that, and it, it is sort of tied up with a bow in the sense that Stone gets to use his jujitsu, his headlock. Right. He gets to put his hand in the wound. Yes. Right. And assess a wounded person. Like he gets to do every last thing we've seen him training to do. And again, right. it's very pat. And like I said, it's all sort of picture perfect. Sure. I mean, it, it's like the screenplay, although it was not written by their ghostwriter or their co-writer or whatever on their book, because it was the three of them plus whoever. Um, it it basically feels like the the script was made by the person that wrote their book because they went and he, the guy went and took notes and then made a structure and said, okay, we're going to, you know, detail how you save the guy by squeezing his carotid artery with your finger. Um, and, you know, we're going to detail your jujitsu and we're not going to detail much else, but we <laughs> put those couple things in there. <laughs> and so, I mean... I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure I can reach a conclusion about the thing. I kind of really have mixed feelings about it. Uh, you know what? I, this is what I think. I think because, you know, I'm so I'm such a great filmmaker. Um, I mean, I can really I know how to turn out a screenplay compared to Clint Eastwood. So I'm going to make this recommendation. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have done it's the a, Internet. I wouldn't have done us Exactly. <laughs> now you got it. I would have done a semi-linear um, background story. I would have done like, you know, two or three little like scenes, almost like they try to do with that Steve Jobs movie to encapsulate Steve Jobs where they showed, and that movie was not mm. very good, but they showed like, they they tried to um, explain Steve Jobs by showing him only around the moments around his big product um launches uh, launches right when he you know he was very famous for doing those uh, really amazing actually you know presentations and um they they took like four of those and tried to explain steve jobs by showing by jumping years in between and and showing these launches and i i think almost like you could have done one as kids one as military one as um and then maybe the final one is them on their trip or going to the train. Or I think you could have maybe done that, those moments and, and showed something about who they were. Um, and, you know, basically that would have arted it up a little bit. And, you know, maybe I guess in the end, I, I guess I don't believe that 
that you can make a, a, a line sketch. I, mm-hmm. I, I like there's certain, I really do like the fact I have, you know, I like the fact that it was unadorned, but I don't know if you can do that. I just, I don't, maybe it was just too unadorned. Yeah. You, you don't sound thrilled with it. You sound kind of conflicted. I, I really am. I really have mixed feelings. I, I like the mystery and the, like the, frankly, the chutzpah to make it. And I like the mysterious quality it had. Um, they don't, nobody does movies like, there's no way anybody does this now. I mean, who's going to no. do, you know, no one does movies where you use actual uh, heroes in them anymore. It's really out, right? It's passe right now. You know, things come in and out of style. And Audie Murphy, that came out in like 1952 or whatever. Yeah, 55, I think. Yeah, so. And again, even even in the intervening more than half century, very, very few films have gone that direction. Right. So I admire that he did it and I admire and I get the I get the point. Um, and I think the movie, it the mystery of it does give you a sense of the mystery and also the ordinariness of heroism. Mm. I think it really does transmit that well. But I think maybe they could have telegraphed some of the other stuff a little more or a mm. little bit differently or they just, they, they seem to me in the end, I, I guess what I'm trying to say, uh, not very, um, very well is that in the end, it seemed like they were playing the, the ghost writers version of the story in the story, whether they're actors or not, which they aren't, but they were playing this kind of squared up version of it. And then that, that, that was the story that came through and that detracted from the, the raw, um, dry kind of spare story that Eastwood did made. I guess that's my problem. So do you think the they end. shouldn't have played themselves? I think so. They, by the way, if I'm reading you right, you definitely liked Firefox more. <laughs> think in Russian. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard not to compare all movies to Firefox uh, and, <laughs> or uh, Every Which Way But Loose, <laughs> <laughs> right? And the Omega Man and Star Trek. These are our touchstones. By the way, so I, have, I have no Star Trek comment for this. I got nothing. Whoa. I know, um, I know. Let's have a moment I, of it, silence. Um, I don't know. I, well, look, this movie made me want to go watch United 93, and it made me want to go at least watch parts of American Sniper again, because I couldn't remember all of American Sniper, but I remember that I that American Sniper had, uh, it, it, was, it had some, you know, it was gutsy sort of feeling. And again, American Sniper, you can't have Chris Kyle play himself because he's dead. Well, you could. It I would guess just be theoretically, really, really boring. I guess theoretically, Sully could have played himself, but Sully's, it's like Sully, Tom Hanks, Sully, Tom Hanks. That's a tough casting decision. I don't know. Well, they did. I think the, we'll, we'll, we'll go with Hanks. They did the classic. They did the final scene with the real guy. Right. The, the inspiring. In front of the real plane. And, you know, that, he, didn't, he barely even used real footage in this thing. Like, that's the amazing thing, right? I, I couldn't even tell if the thing with Francois Hollande, the, you know, the French president, 
uh, was real or was like reshot. <laughs> or, or did they digitally insert the to make them look like they did it in the movie as opposed to the age they were three years ago? I don't know. Although I will tell you that Olan's speech was great. Yeah, that was the like, climax was of the movie. Moved to tears by Olan's speech. Like I was like, wow, what a well-spoken guy. That was the um, well. You're just used to <laughs> what's going, Carly. American right. politicians. No, um, I mean, I think that was really that was the emotional kind of payoff of the film was that speech, right? So well, and it put everything you'd seen and everything they did in context of sort of the greater war on terror and what is happening all around the world today. Right. It it, it put their heroism in the context of that we're trying to save Western civilization and that it's worth saving. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's really and an that, interesting well, movie. And also in the idea that if, if this guy hadn't been stopped, he could have conceivably killed an enormous number of people. Yeah. And you know, he was taken down very, very quickly and efficiently at the incept of the terror attack. Right. I mean, like, there's that shot of all those magazines and all those AK-47 rounds on the seat to sort of convey to you how close they were to a catastrophe. Yeah, that was very well done, little shot. That was also, really Eastwood. He, but he put the gun to Stone's head and pulled the trigger and it didn't fire. Yeah, and, and I think he misfired. Uh, he misfired he? both. Yeah, I know. In real life, they said that Stone said that he literally, as he was running down the aisle to attack the guy, he realized that he had not had firearms training. Just from the way he was holding the gun and sort of carrying himself, he was able to pick that up just in like a second as he was charging down the aisle, which is a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, 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 you clearly you're you're a little torn about it. I don't. Know. I saw it with my uh, whole family, and and everybody liked it. And I think my kids took some inspiration from it. I don't know if my kids are going to charge a terrorist, but I think that they took some real inspiration from it. Yeah. What they mean is they want, they're asking you for money to go to Europe next summer. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> That's the inspiration. Um, I don't know. I liked it. I, you know, I'm very eager to see what Clint does next. I mean, I have, I feel like Clint's later films meaning that maybe the last 20 years, there's so much more that I think I can get out of them as opposed to his earlier films. And I like a lot of his earlier films, but I feel like he's, he's really rare in that he's getting better and better and better. And I mean, this is almost an experimental film and pretty brave for him to do. I mean, when you think about, when you think about 2000 space cowboys where he's playing the old fart being put out to pasture out for one last ride. And that was almost, that's 18 years ago. And the guy's still making movies. He's making movies with like big time chutzpah, like this thing too. Oh yeah. And Sully was great. And uh, American sniper was terrific. And again, I'm, I'm okay with patriotism. Like I'm not the kind of person who's going to shy away or feel uncomfortable with a little patriotism. So I don't know. I, I like it. I don't know. I liked it. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind the patriotism part. I just, you know, it's the, it, I think the thing that bugged me just is that it felt like the, they were shooting the book. They were shooting the, not the books. They were shooting the ghost writers outline of the book. Of their book. Right. That's what, that's what in a, I probably should have, could have 
thought about this beforehand and digested that instead of taking mm. the entire podcast to come to that conclusion. That's my conclusion. <laughs> well, I told you I was going to work sort it of out. Hear your thought process as we go. Right. Um, it's frightening. I just looked at Clint's filmography. It doesn't say what film he's working on next. But considering he, you know, he started this thing six months ago and it's in theaters. You know, I guess yeah. he's entitled to a few weeks off. How old is Clint Eastwood now? He's eighty-seven, dude. Jeez. Clint, man, take your multivites, take your aspirin, stay healthy for us. Unforgiven 2, that's the next one. <laughs> Unforgiven 2. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the dry goods business. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where he prospered, I believe it says in the call. Yes, he prospered, but it didn't say how he prospered. He prospered by being a badass. <laughs> You're going to take these cans of condensed milk back. You hear what I'm saying? <laughs> it's only one and a half pounds a millet, not two. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, it's funny because, you know, one day you're going to open up the Times and uh, it's going to say, you know, Clint Eastwood passed away. But I'm telling you, I hope Clint's got a couple more movies out of him because the, the pace that he is keeping up and the quality of the movies he's making at this stage of his career, like, I mean... Who else? Who else can do that? Woody Allen, right? I mean, who else can do that? Yeah, very, very few people. Well, you know, J.D. Salinger died, and there's supposed to be all these, like, you know, a whole bunch of brilliant books that make Catcher in the Rye look like a piece of crap that he that he wrote over the years, and were going to be released. And he died a few years ago, and there's been not a word. So mm -hmm. that was probably all BS. So hopefully, Clint hurries up. <laughs> I imagine, too, he probably is always looking for a project. You know, he's just probably like 5% of his brain at any given moment is what's the next project? What's the next project? What's the next project? You know, that's probably that's what you got to do to, to do this sort of thing. You know, the other uh, last thing I'll say is, you know, in a weird way, it's a little bit like Gran Torino, um, this movie in the sense that he had i think i think a lot of the people in gran torino were actual Hmong vietnamese right and a lot of them were not professional actors but again they weren't portraying themselves but you could see how maybe he's been sort of building up to this you know this idea of like let's portray real events let's try to use some non-traditional actors in these films i don't know i don't know i, I say score for uh score for clint you know i, I just kind of taking the temperature of the audience as we were walking out like people look pretty happy although the reviews are not too kind to this like if you look at the reviews or rotten tomatoes like it, it i think a lot more people feel like you than they feel like me like they're not sure what to make of it or they found it a little confusing or they didn't know how to sort of categorize it as a movie so i'll be curious to see how it does at the box office but very few of the reviews were super positive it's whatever the however much value Rotten Tomatoes has, um, you know they give you those two numbers, two qualifications. Right, the audience score and the critic score, right? I think yeah. The the I don't remember the critic score. I know it was fairly low, but the audience score I don't remember the number, but I remember th it was atrocious. Like hmm. like I don't think people like the movie. I, they like it way less than I do. You know, like I mean, if that's true, I'm. I don't know. Hmm. We'll see. <sighs> Not that it matters because, you know, people are going to, it may take years till people, you know, appreciate something a la 2001. Right. Well, in a lot of movies too, you know, you don't really know how they, you don't know how they resonate with the larger culture until they've had a few years to percolate. And some, and again, some things that you think are great are really good when you see them, when you see them on a second or third watching down the road, you're like, ah, why did I think that was so great? And other times you come back and you say, well, oh, I really didn't appreciate how good I was, or there's a lot there that I 
yep. didn't acknowledge at the time. But sure. that having been said. Um, all right, should we wrap there? Yeah, let's end it. All righty. Well, that was interesting. Uh, that was, I think that was one of our more unique podcasts in the sense that uh, the audience got to sort of hear your thought process in real time. So that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, don't forget, everybody, please email us at popcorndrinkcombo at gmail.com. And please uh, review us on iTunes. For every review, uh, Peter will give you a personal telephone call. And an imaginary T-shirt. <laughs> It's really good to be, by the way. You can hear all my, <laughs> you can hear all my thought processes again. Now, no one is ever going to email from now on. Oh, all right. Thanks, Peter. Sniffle. All right. Bye.